0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in History. I'm Marshall Poe, your host. Each week, we pick a new history book that we find particularly interesting, and we interview the author of that book. This week, I'm pleased to say we have Kyra Hicks on the show, and we'll be talking about her new book, This I Accomplish, Harriet Powers' Bible Quilt and Other Pieces. I'll tell you something I've never understood, and that is the difference between art and what is generally called craft. I understand the sociological difference, that being that art is made in New York and Paris, and crafts are made in Omaha and Wichita, but I do wonder about the substantive difference. Some people will tell you that it has to do with functionality, art being not functional and craft being functional. If that is so, then many of the pieces in the Museum of Modern Art in New York are in fact crafts, because If I recall correctly, there are chairs and things like that, furniture. This is relevant because of today's topic, and it is the work of Harriet Powers. She was a freed slave and a quilter of great accomplishment. She's kind of the Vermeer of quilters in that very few of her pieces are known, and most we think don't survive, but those that have survived are extraordinarily highly prized. And like Vermeer, we don't know a lot about her. Kyra Hicks, in this book attempts to fill in many of the blanks, and she succeeds marvelously. I didn't really know anything about the world of quilting or folk art in the late 19th century, particularly among African Americans, but thanks to Kyra, I know a lot more now. I really enjoyed talking to her today, and I think that you'll enjoy the interview. Here it is. Hi, Kyra.
1: Hi, Marshall. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. I should tell our listener we have Kyra Hicks on the show today, and we will be discussing her really interesting new book, this I accomplish. Harriet Powers' Bible quilt and other pieces. I confess, I knew nothing. Uh, I know very little about quilts. I have received some as presents, and I think I had a grandmother that quilted. Um, okay. When my, when my children were born, they all got quilts from my relatives. I think I don't know if it's a Midwestern thing or what, but I didn't know anything about quilting, and I, I had never heard of um, Harriet Powers, whom I have now come to think of as the Vermeer of quilters. I love she, that. Yeah, because she was, uh, you know, she. Uh, many of her pieces, I guess, don't survive, but they are highly prized. She's yes, yes just they like are. just like Vermeer. So I, I, I'm, I, and actually, I interviewed somebody on this show who wrote a biography of Vermeer. So I was thinking a lot about that as I read this I accomplish, which I highly recommend to people, whether you're interested in quilting or not. But especially if you're interested in quilting, I would say this book is for you. Uh, Kyra, why don't you begin the interview by telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Certainly. Um, I am a quilter, and I'm a quilt historian. I'm originally from Los Angeles, um, and funny enough, I don't know of anyone in my family who quilted before I did. <laughs> Since then, my mother and my sister have, have quilted, um, but no you know, aunts or grandmothers or anything that quilted um, that I grew up kind of learning from their knees. Um, and I should say that I am also a marketer. Um, And just someone who loves London and loves historical (laughs) research.
0: Yeah. uh Yeah. And so um, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit how – well, let me ask you this. How did you get into into quilting if if nobody in your family was doing it?
1: It's a great question. Um, When I was an MBA student at the University of Michigan, I was visiting a friend in Cincinnati. And while looking in the newspaper that weekend, there was an ad – for um, the Taft museum for an african-american story quilts exhibit and i just thought you know what gotta go see this show and so my friend and i did go to the show and to be honest with you marshall when i walked into that exhibit and i saw those quilts on the walls quilts by um winnie mcqueen and and faith ringle and michael cummings and there was a clementine hunter quilt there she's a, a folk artist i was Overwhelmed, and I knew that I had to become a quilter, and I wanted to tell my stories through quilts, and I also wanted to one day be on the walls with some of those same quilters. <laughs> kind of audacious, <laughs> looking back. Yeah, no, I mean
0: that's a, it's a, a, that, that is a that's a an inspirational story, really. To be, and, and I think you're really lucky to be, um, to use a colloquialism, turned on in that way by by something you went to see at a museum. I think many people go to museums and fall asleep. No, but, no uh, and I woke up. Isn't yeah, that amazing? Right. I woke, woke up, up there. So yeah. more power to you and more power to museums. <laughs> so why don't you tell us how you came to write This I Accomplished? Because as you just mentioned, there are a number of, you know, there, obviously there's a kind of hall of fame of quilters. And um, mm-hmm. h- how did you come to choose Harriet Powers? Who really, uh, we only know, if I should not give away the punchline. That's but okay. So far as we know, there are only two, if, if I understand correctly, two Harriet Powers quilts. That we know of that survive, is that right? That have survived. I am
1: hoping that maybe even one of your listeners will be able to help us find another (laughs) Harriet Powers quilt. Um, So how did I get to write this? Let me, if I can, start back by saying I stumbled into even writing and researching because I had been unemployed. Uh Um, And I had some time in the day, so I committed to myself that in the mornings I would do you know, send out resumes and do networking and so forth. But in the afternoon, I would try to find something that would give me joy. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of that joy was so that I wouldn't become depressed while looking for work. Mm-hmm. And I found I loved research and investigative research and historical research. And because I was a quilter, I just aimed that at African-American quilt history. Mm-hmm. So was able to, um, in that unemployment period, do the research for what became my first book, um, titled Black Threads. Mm -hmm. So then how did I get to write the Harriet Powers book? My dad was sick and I thought while he was sick and trying to have something again, joyful to do, I thought I'd do something really silly, which would be to compile a annotated bibliography of references about Mrs. Powers. Mm -hmm. I had no intentions of writing a book. I was just in some ways kind of just busy work. Mm -hmm. Um, if, You're a quilter or you're into quilt history. Mrs. Powers is probably the most famous American quilter. Hmm. And there is oodles of information written about her. Um, And so I just thought, you know what? I just categorize it. Mm -hmm. And while working on the um, annotated bibliography, I started to see inconsistencies in some of the references. Or I started to see where writers would say things about Mrs. Powers or her quilt and not provide a reference or a source for what they were saying Mm -hmm. and then as I was doing the annotated bibliography I noticed then subsequent writers would then just copy the same unsourced (laughs) information welcome to my world yes (laughs) (laughs) and I'm not I'm not in your world I'm not an (laughs) academic I'm a you know I work in in the field of business Um, so I was just amazed that People can write things and say things and not source it. Uh And then it was really funny to see the information being replicated. So I thought, wouldn't it be kind of fun to begin to just follow the threads and say, well, if somebody said something, can I find the original source for it and source it you know, Mm -hmm. and and reference it? Um, I had no clue that I would end up going to five different states Mm -hmm. and having probably the most wonderful adventure of my life today. Yeah. In what would have been just a simple annotated bibliography. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I mean that is a fantastic story. You know that's what I mean, you know better than I do, that's what museum curators do. They look for the provenance of pieces and try to investigate the folks that, that made them. So yes. you're doing these curators' work for I think they owe you they this in the check. I don't know. <laughs> I know these, right, these are extraordinarily well regarded quilts. Millions of people go to see them and they're written about in books and you have you've really uncovered some This is the thing that historians really like. You have really discovered something new about Harriet Powers. We'll come to that in a second, but you you get credit for discovering something really quite remarkable. Uh, And as as I say, I don't want to give away the punchline yet. Okay. um, But but kudos to you. Thank you. I really think that's just absolutely terrific. It's it's a wonderful story, Um, and the book turned out marvelously. So why don't we begin by just saying a few words about what we knew about Harriet Powers before you started your research?
1: Great, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who don't know, literally, if you were to go on a search engine and type in Harriet Powers' name, you'll see Mrs. Powers and you'll see one, if not both, of her Bible themed quilts. And what we knew the typical story of what we know about Mrs. Powers was that she had been a slave at some point. She lived in the Athens, Georgia area, and she was a quilter. And she made a quilt that was exhibited in 1886 at the Athens Cotton Fair. And um, what I've since learned was that was a fair that the exhibitors were both black and white citizens of of Athens, Georgia, um, and a woman by the name of Jenny Smith. She was an art teacher at the Lucy Cobb's Institute, which is a, which at the time was a finishing school for southern um, young ladies. And Jenny Smith saw this quilt and just became enamored by what we know today as the Bible quilt, which is in the Smithsonian. And the Bible quilt has about 11 blocks in it, and each block tells a story from the Bible. For example, there's Adam and Eve, there is um, Christ being baptized by John the Baptist, Um, there's Judas with the 30 pieces of silver, so different Bible stories. And Jenny Smith tracked down Harriet Power's. And she asked Harriet Powers, when she found her, if she could purchase that Bible quill. And she offered her $10 for it. And you, we today we may not think that $10 is a lot of money, but at that point, um, $10 was today our equivalent of about $240. Mm-hmm. And um, Mrs. Powers said, no, you know, this is my baby. This is this is my my child. I'm, I'm not going to sell it. Um, And the sale didn't happen. Well, later on, a few years after that, um, about 1891, Mrs. Powers and her family was going through some really rough financial times, and they needed money. And so Mrs. Powers sent a letter or in some kind of way communicated to Jenny Smith and said, are you still interested in the quilt? And Jenny Smith said, yes, she was. And so Harriet and her husband... um, got on a buggy, according to some references, and went to Jenny Smith's house in Athens. And um, Harriet Powers had it, the quilt wrapped up, and she you know, went up on the porch, knocked on the door, and Jenny Smith opened it, and they went in. Harriet Powers had hoped to get $10 again for the quilt, and Jenny Smith said, you know what, I only have $5. And so Harriet Powers, went, according to the story, goes back out and talks to her husband. And they, um, he said, you know, take the money. They must have really needed, Mm -hmm. um, if you think about it, and I'm a quilter, and I I, even, I think it would be difficult for me to give up my favorite quilt, Um, but Mrs. Powers goes back into the house, and she accepts the $5, and accepting the $5, a couple things happen. One, she asked to visit the quilt. You know, this is how much she loved it. Mm -hmm. She wanted to come back and visit the quilt, Um, and Jenny Smith agreed. And Jenny Smith, in addition to the $5, gave her a bundle of fabric scraps so that she could perhaps make another quilt if she wanted to. And I think the wonderful thing is that during those visits that Harriet Powers had with with the quilt and with Jenny Smith, Jenny Smith actually recorded what each of those um, 11 blocks meant. Mm -hmm. And that documentation has survived along with the quilt. Mm -hmm. So that's the story as we know it. Um, Later on, Jenny Smith... Um, who is really a lover of art, she's an art teacher, Um, has the quilt exhibited in 1895 at the Atlanta Cotton Exposition. And this is the one where Booker T. Washington spoke at. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's exhibited in the Negro Building. And according to the stories, um, some women from Atlanta University, whether they were teachers or wives of some of the professors or board of directors, it's unknown. Um, But some women from Atlanta University saw the quilt the Bible quilt on exhibit, and they later commissioned or asked, again, we're not sure which one, Mrs. Powers to make another quilt for someone who was the board, on the Board of Directors of Atlanta University. And that gentleman's name was Dr. Charles Cuthbert Hall. Mm-hmm. And um, Mrs. Powers made that quilt, and it was given to Dr. Hall. And through a series of, of events over the decades, that quilt is now in the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. Mm-hmm. That In a nutshell, it's generally what people knew about those two Bible quilts. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, let me me ask this. I have a couple of questions that are really background uh, before we begin to talk about um, what you discovered and how you filled in the many blanks. uh, I really like the fact that you call her um, Miss Powers. That just sounds well, so respectful. We don't speak oh. <laughs> that way anymore, but I just really like it. <laughs> so kudos That's to you. That's how I know her. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's great. I, I, would,
1: I, I would never think to call her Harriet. Yeah, I'm going to call oh, her Miss Powers,
0: too. Um, so Miss Powers, uh, she uh, – so, t- tell me this. How, how do you make a quilt? I mean, I know I have did painting. You know, I know how to sure. make a painting. I know how to. I, I learned a little sculpture when I was in, I think, junior high. I have no idea how to make a quilt, not even the first <laughs> – notion so please please explain to us exactly what goes into this and how many woman hours or man hours or person hours it takes to make something like this and where the you know where the materials come from and that kind of thing
1: certainly um there i'll talk about two basic kinds of quilts one is a patchwork quilt and that's probably the easiest one to make if you think about it you get a piece of fabric and cut it up into squares and Mm -hmm. literally sew those squares back together isn't that silly Mm -hmm. (laughs) you sew the squares back together (laughs) And so you're sewing fabric against fabric or mm-hmm. side by side to fabric, mm-hmm. and and that's essentially a patchwork quilt. Mm-hmm. What makes a quilt is three layers. Um, you have the top layer, the bottom layer, and in between you would put your batting or your cotton, yeah. and that gives it the weight. Mm-hmm. And when you sew all three layers together, that makes the quilt. Mm-hmm. So a quilt is three layers. Uh-huh. If you just had two layers, that's a pillowcase. Uh (laughs) Yeah, so So that's not a kind of quilt. That's just two layers. But you have to have all three layers to make it a quilt. And so a patchwork is side-by-side fabric. Applique quilt, which is what Mrs. Powers' quilts are, are when you put fabric on top of fabric Mm -hmm. and sew it down. Mm -hmm. And that's called applique. There's many, many other kinds, but those are probably the two most popular Uh uh-huh that you would know Uh and marshall yes you too can quilt
0: i can i'm sure i can actually my mother was my mother sewed all her own clothes so i know what batting is and all that other stuff so um i i'm I'm familiar with sewing quilting i i don't believe i've ever done but so how many she uh i I know that uh miss powers speaks about how many pieces she sews together is that is that one way to measure a quilt or is it one
1: back then i mean today i wouldn't I, i don't know many people who speak like she did um for those of you who don't know, Mrs. Powers, it mentioned she made a quilt of, for example, 1,000 pieces.
0: Yeah. Um, I just wanted somebody to say that. 1,000. She says 2,000 at one point. Yes, yeah, That's she a lot of pieces. <laughs> I mean, let's that's just a lot say, of That's pieces. a lot of pieces, yeah.
1: You know what? But that – there are people um, – I know of a wonderful woman who's a quilter and a folk artist in Kansas City, um, and she made a quilt that had the 2,000-plus pieces, mm-hmm. and each piece was the size of a postage stamp. Mm-hmm. And so okay. that's how you can get 2,000 yeah. pieces in one quilt, uh-huh. just that tiny. Yeah. And, and there was, um, you were proud of it if you could count, and if you could not count, if you could do something with that many pieces in it.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay.
1: You had asked earlier, you know, how long does it take somebody to yeah, make... how long, long does it take? That
0: was my next question, actually. Sure.
1: Yeah. Um, it varies. You know, the same way it varies on, you know, how long does it take somebody to make a dress or to do, make a piece of sculpture? It varies. When I make a quilt, and all of my quilts are story quilts, mm-hmm. similar to Mrs. Powers, except mine, I add words to them. Mm-hmm. When I make a quilt, um, it may take maybe a couple weeks for me to take a germ of an idea for the story and flesh it out, but it will take probably about three months for me to actually sew the quilt.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And not to do the quilting, but to do the, the quilt top and the bottom. Mm-hmm. That usually takes me about three months. Mm-hmm. And then the quilting would be separate. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Lord have mercy, that's cool. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like handwork like that myself, except I used to be, I mean, I, I, again, I probably said this 20 times in the show, I was a fanatic about building um, models when I was a kid.
1: And airplane I, models?
0: Airplanes and tanks and okay. air, ships and the whole nine yards. I just, I've
1: done airplane models. I
0: love to build those things, and I would spend just oodles of time on them. Uh, and then I think I did what most boys do, and I uh, got some um, gasoline and I burnt them. And so, you know, because that was oh, just my. kind of cool. Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> we were playing war. So in any event, so, so tell me this. The, the One thing I did not know, but I should have realized, because actually I used to work in business a little bit myself, and there are um, there's a huge community of quilters and People exhibit their quilts, and, you know, there are a lot of museum-quality pieces, and museums have collections of them. And maybe you could talk a little bit about that angle of quilting. Sure, yeah.
1: sure. There is um, Quilters Newsletter magazine, and um, is a, a really a very, very popular magazine here in the United States. Um, the company that owns them did a survey this year and they do a survey every three years to quantify how many quilters there are in the United States and what is the value of the industry. And according to the 2010 um, industry survey, there are 21 million quilters in the United States.
0: (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's And we spend collectively $3.5 billion on quilt making activities. And so that's things like... Purchasing fabrics, purchasing sewing machines, going to classes, um, all the magazine subscriptions, all the uh-huh. books that we purchase, um, all of that collectively. Can you imagine three point five billion dollars? No, I
0: can't imagine. Um, yeah, so in in Mrs. Pa- in, in Mrs. Powers', Powers uh, day, uh, mm-hmm. was there also a? Uh, a large community of quilters, and I know she exhibited her quilts, and maybe you could talk a little bit about the, the fora in which she did so.
1: From what I've been able to gather in my research, um, yes, quilting was definitely popular. And when you think about it, um, today we are so used to going to the department store and purchasing a quilt, a ready-made quilt, um, that's beautiful and decorative. I would say that there was probably a mixture of functional quilts literally just something to keep us warm um, back during Mrs. Power's time, as well as the more decorative or Sunday quilts. Mm-hmm. So if you were to walk into somebody's room, that, at home, there might be the functional everyday quilt, but then there would be something called the Sunday quilt, mm-hmm. which was more decorative and you might bring that one out for guests or Sunday afternoons when you had guests in the home over for, for a formal dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, so what about the display of quilts you would ask In Athens, Georgia, I was able to um, read many, many issues of the um, Athens Banner Herald, which is the newspaper there, and look at accounts and and articles about the fairs that went on, the county fairs that went on, Um, and quilting was a large part of what was happening in the women's buildings or the women's displays at that time, Mm -hmm. and I was able to also learn that in Athens, um, in the 1800s 1880s to 1890s in athens georgia there was a colored fair Mm -hmm. that happened after the general county fair Mm -hmm. and in the colored fair there were also exhibits of quilts and so black women and white women were quilting in that athens georgia area for for years and years and years Mm -hmm. so it would not have been unusual for mrs powers to be a quilter Mm -hmm. what probably was unusual is her design Mm -hmm. So, out of all of that community of, of women who quilted, the fact that two of her Bible-themed quilts—and and according to the newspaper accounts I've read—there were other people who did, um, you know, like Noah Ark-themed mm-hmm. quilts with the pairs of animals. But there was something tremendously unusual about and beautiful and, and, and engaging about Missus Powers' quilts that they ended up surviving for more than a hundred years. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, this really, uh, it kind of falls in the tradition of, well, any pictorial representation of biblical images. But the thing that it reminded me of was, um, A, fr- frescoes that uh, are, in mm. a sense, they're they are divided into frames. You can see them in lots yeah. of churches in Europe and even some in the United States. And then, uh, of course, stained glass windows, which are often designed in this way, to be read. You know, Stations of yes. the Cross is the, is the classic example. But there are many examples, if you go into Catholic churches especially, you'll see Depictions of uh, biblical scenes, much like the ones that uh, Mrs. Powers uh, created in these these two quilts. Uh, d- what, what would you say? It, it seems to me unusual that there were only there are only two. She must have had other quilts. Am I wrong about that?
1: Um, well, one of the things I did find in my research is that there are other quilts that she made. Um, that was one of the new things that I was able to uncover. Um, from my research, I found that she made a quilt um, as early as, what is it, 1882-ish? She made a quilt, and that theme of that quilt was um, the Lord's Supper.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then she made some other quilts, as you had mentioned before, that had a number, two other quilts that had a very large number of pieces. And from the description, there wasn't a story theme to those descriptions. So I'm assuming that those were more geometric quilts. Mm-hmm. So according to my research, there are at least five Powers quilts, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of which two have survived that we know about.
0: Mm-hmm. I know we mentioned earlier the analogy with Vermeer. Occasionally a Vermeer, what is purports to be a Vermeer, shows up and someone says, oh, look, a Vermeer. And then some expert says, no, really not a Vermeer, but looks like a Vermeer. <laughs> Has this happened with Powers quilts before?
1: Um. Yes. In my research, I came across a reference, and I was able to um, speak with the woman who wrote the book that had the reference in it, that in the late 70s, early 80s, um, there was some kind of note about a Powers-like quilt to surface in Tennessee. But unfortunately, the woman who wrote the book can't find her original reference to that Tennessee quilt. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm hoping still to find it at some point.
0: Okay, so let's issue you a call right now. Go look through your quilts, and if you see anything <laughs> that looks like uh, Harriet, story, the yes. book, first. Go buy the book, and if you see anything that looks like a Harriet Powers quilt, please uh, contact Kyra or me, and we'll uh, we'll put you in, in touch with the proper authorities, and you
1: can yes, you, you can have yeah. Well, and, yeah. That, and that Tennessee quilt is. Um, one that there was already a printed reference. I happen to think that there's another one, and I happen to think that it might be in your home state of Iowa. Uh, yeah, well, we're going to
0: we... come to Iowa in yeah. just a second. Iowa represent. Don't worry, we're not going to get we're going <laughs> to we're going to get Iowa in a second. Um, so, so um, let, let me t- let's talk a little bit about uh, Miss Power's life before we go on to the Iowa story. Sure. And that is, uh, so she was uh, she was born a slave. We're sure we're pretty sure of that. Um I think we're sure of that, and then we're she sure was, of that although I have no
1: proof of it yeah. but
0: yes and, and she was she was married, and then she had a great number of children, very few of whom survived, maybe you could she had nine bit. children, yeah. and
1: of that three of them survived um a son and i want to say two sons and a daughter,
0: uh-huh. Any any living relatives today that you've been able to trace down, or is the the Powers clan? Um, I know a guy named Powers, but I doubt very much if he's related to <laughs> Harriet. If you Pop. know what I mean, sure, <laughs> maybe. But, um,
1: yeah. In doing the research, my my emphasis was on following what happened to the two quilts, so I didn't uh-huh. focus so much on the family of Harriet Powers. Yeah. Although um, there is a wonderful woman by the name of Catherine Holmes who is doing her dissertation at the University of Georgia, Athens, and it is going to be on Harriet Powers. And I know that she's been doing some fabulous research about the family. But during my research, um, there is family in the Boston area, Powers families Uh in the Boston area and in South Carolina. And then I had a fabulous, fabulous surprise. I got an email from a young woman who lives in Tennessee or goes to school in Tennessee, um, who was searching her family tree and came across a reference to a Harriet Powers in her family tree. And it turns out that there's a very high, high likelihood that that was Mrs. Powers. And I tend to believe the young woman because it came through one of the daughters. Uh And based on my, you know, annotated bibliography work, none of the references that I have seen mentions the daughters married last names. Uh So it, the fact that somebody, you know, in their family tree came back up through one of the daughters is fabulous. Mm-hmm.
0: So let's, let's actually tell the Iowa story now because, you know, I'm here in Iowa. And <laughs> Keokuk, Iowa, very rarely gets mentioned on this show, not as often as uh, it should. And the people of Keokuk deserve. But why don't you tell the, the, the story about how, you, how your research led you to, to Iowa, of all places. I it was very surprised when I read that in the book.
1: I could not believe it and like I said this research took me to five states and after the fourth one I thought okay I've done enough I've got to publish this book until um, December of 2008 I went back to the Smithsonian. Um, Doris Bowman was is the textile curator there and she's fabulous and she um, I wanted to go to the Smithsonian and verify my references before the book went to publication. Mm -hmm. And Doris was great. She put me in a room with the entire files on Harriet Powers and the quilt and let me go through them. And in prior times I was at the Smithsonian, the curators actually keep the files or they kept the files and then pulled out what they thought I wanted to see. So this is the first time I had full access to it. Oh, my gosh, Marshall. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Um, that goes to not asking the right questions to begin with, Mm -hmm. because now I'm able to see everything in the file and I am verifying my references and so forth, but I actually got to touch Jenny Smith's nine page letter Mm -hmm. where she, you know, writes Harriet Power's description of the Bible Mm quilt. And going through there, I also came across, um, probably about the size of a sheet of paper, a little larger than an eight by 11 sheet of paper, a photograph of the Bible quilt old, old photograph, and it turns out it was from 1895 or 1896, um, and one of the curators there, one of the, the folks in the textile department um, said, oh, yeah, we received this photograph, and they cannot remember which institution gave them the photograph. <laughs> so, if you know, it's, um, they think it was an institution in Alabama, uh-huh. and there is a connection with Harriet Power Story in Alabama, but they cannot find the paperwork about this photograph and the information they received well on the back of the photograph are a description of each of the 11 blocks in the bible quilt and this woman wrote her impressions of seeing the bible quilt and she also wrote that she wanted to purchase it and it wasn't for sale and bless her heart she was an early historian she signed the back of the picture with her name in keokuk iowa mm-hmm. and a, this woman had, her name was virginia at the um, Smithsonian. Um, said, you know, Kyra, yeah, we, you know, we got this picture and I started trying to trace this woman in Keokuk, Iowa. And, um, you know, you're welcome to my notes. If you find anything, you know, just share it. And I'm like, that's cool. And so I thought, okay, there's no way in the world I'm going to go to Keokuk, Iowa. I'll just, <laughs> this and, you know, went online and, and went to the sites that have Um, census records Looked there went to the library of congress which is a blessing being in the washington dc area just to go there on a saturday morning and in fact found information the woman's name is lorraine diver lorraine curtis diver Uh and um she and her husband james were prominent folks in keokuk he owned a number of businesses and she was you know one of the leading cultured ladies of keokuk um the story goes, or at least what I've been able to understand, is um, they had one daughter who passed away unexpectedly at the age of 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and it devastated Mrs. Divers. And she took up photography to kind of work herself out of her mourning. She took up photography. Um, well, then 1896, 1895 comes along, and for whatever reason, and they're wealthy, they go to the Atlantic Cotton Expo. And while at the Atlanta Cotton Expo, um, Mrs. Divers goes, and I'm sure her husband went as well, although I don't know that. They attend, and they go in and see the, um, the exhibit in the Negro building. And one of the pieces on display is the quilt that Jenny Smith had sent, um, the Bible quilt. And Mrs. Divers, who I found out later in my research, was also a quilter. She won a, um, a blue ribbon, believe it or not. At the Iowa State Fair for one of her quilts, um, fell in love with the Bible quilt, and she wanted to purchase it and so um, I thought, "Wow, this is great. I now have for my book this information about this photograph that's at the Smithsonian. I hadn't seen any other researcher publish anything about the photograph. Um, we didn't know in quilt history that there was another woman who wanted to buy the bible quilt, so this is terrific. I've, I have new information. Yep. And Marshall, for whatever reason, I thought I've got to have a picture of Mrs. Divers for the book. Mm-hmm. And there was a woman, a, not a woman, a gentleman by the name of Raymond Garrison, who's since passed away. He was a local historian in Keokuk. And Mr. Garrison wrote a book on women of Keokuk. And I think it's our, um, My Lady of Keokuk. I think it's the title of it. And he had a photograph of Mrs. Garrison as a child. And I thought, well, I can surely get a photograph of her as an adult. And I'm wondering, how can I do this for a woman who died decades ago with no children? And I ended up calling anybody whose phone number I could figure out in Keokuk. I called the local newspaper, the library. Um, There's a gentleman who sells Keokuk postcards and memorabilia on eBay. I contacted him. Anybody who would answer me, I, I contacted to find a photograph of Lorraine Diver. And it turns out the local historical society um, knew who I was talking about. In fact, the, the Diver's home is still there in Keokuk. And I got an email from the historic, the vice president of the historical society saying, you know, Miss Hicks, we have um, this photograph of Lorraine Diver. And by the way, um, in the file is a photograph of some quilts and letters. Would you be interested? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And no, that's the a, woman that's, who sent it is, yeah. it's adorable. And I kept wanting to say, can you overnight it and fax it, you know, yeah. really quick, quick. And you can't tell that to somebody who's helping you out, you yeah. know? And eventually I did get this FedEx envelope a few days later. And I now find out what took so long, um, Those are old photographs and documents, so they actually went and took it to special equipment to reproduce it. Mm -hmm. I get this FedEx marshal, and I open it up. All I could do is scream.
0: (laughs) They had no
1: clue what they had. I mean, they do now. But um, I thought maybe what might have happened is Lorraine Diver would have contacted Jenny Smith, and Jenny Smith said no. And so I was expecting, well, maybe if there's any correspondences with Jenny Smith, I was floored. And I started screaming and crying (laughs) and anything else you want to say, because out of this FedEx envelope came this photocopy of a letter. And it it turns out it's a copy of a letter from Harriet Powers. Uh And most historians up until that point had thought she was illiterate Uh because of the, you know, the figurative Um, features of her the narratives of her quilts and here is Harriet Powers writing about her life Um, while I don't know this what I suspect happened is that um, Jenny Smith said no and and Mrs. Um, Diver was able to get in contact with Harriet Powers herself and asked Harriet Powers something about a quilt Uh and I think this is the response from Harriet Powers because in addition to um, what was in that FedEx envelope was s- another photograph of the quill, similar to the photograph that was at the Smithsonian and a freaking picture of Harriet Powers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And. Uh,
0: yeah, no, that's, yeah, no, I can't really imagine. I've never made a discovery like that. I've been a historian for, <laughs> I've been a historian for over 20 years and I can't say I've ever made a discovery like that. Uh
1: oh my um, yeah, goodness no, and no. so um literally the next day bright and early in the morning i'm in my manager's office saying you know what i got to take some time off and go to keokuk iowa <laughs> and he looked i mean fortunately at the time and i don't work there now but at the time everyone knew i'm this little kooky person who does you know this quilt research yeah. and um his name is scott wilson his name uh, my manager at the time and scott bless his heart um went on Google Maps and found where Keokuk, Iowa was and mm-hmm. just kind of said, let's figure out which airport you need to, to right. fly in.
0: Yeah, well, that's always the problem with Iowa, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Des Moines or Cedar Rapids. That's, or maybe one in the, in the, in the Quad Cities, yeah. Moline. Well, I found that out. Yeah. So I,
1: I ended up flying into to St. Louis and just running a car yeah, and driving right. up. Yeah. But I was in, within a week, I was in Keokuk, Iowa. Yeah. And that's when they had the idea that maybe what was in that folder was rather valuable. Yeah.
0: So tell us what this letter said.
1: It's an amazing letter. Well, it is a fabulous letter from Harriet Powers, Um, and and I believe it's a copy. I think what happened is that, you know, this is at a time it was written in 1896, January of 1896. I think what probably happened is that Lorraine Diver made a copy of it in her own handwriting. Mm -hmm. And that's what um, the Historical Society has is this copy. Mm -hmm. But Mrs. Powers um, writes about having been a slave on the Lester plantation, um, she says herself that she learned to, to read when she was 11 years old. Um, she talks about marrying her husband in 1855. Um, and still in that first paragraph, she talks about a quilt she made in 1872. Can you imagine?
0: Yeah, this is the one with 4,000 pieces of 4,000 diamonds. She She says, yeah, 4,000, yeah. Yeah, 4,050 diamonds, you're absolutely right. right.
1: Um, What I think is also wonderful to know about Mrs. Powers, because, again, if you had read the literature on her, you would think of her only as this poor black woman, illiterate, who sold her her baby, you know, sold this Mm -hmm. quilt. And then here she is writing and talking about her life. She talks about... um, meeting and having her quilt at the Athens Colored Fair, mm-hmm. um, and it won a prize. You know, it won a premium, which is another word that they used at the time for prizes. She talks about being a member of, of a church that's still there in Athens, the uh, Mount Zion Baptist Church. And what, when I first read the letter, I am a member here in Virginia of Mount, Baptist, uh, Mount Zion Baptist Church in Arlington, Virginia. And just the parallels just had me screaming and blubbering. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she goes on and she um, writes about and she describes what we know today as the Bible quilt that's at the Smithsonian. Mm -hmm. She called it the Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden quilt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she, like you mentioned earlier, she said that she was the mother of nine children and that six of them had passed away. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I thought the Two things. One, in the letter, it says that she gave a gift to the governor um, mm-hmm. at the Atlanta Expo. Mm-hmm. So here is this woman who is talking about meeting the person who organized the Negro building at the Atlanta Expo. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she's connected. Yeah. You know, she travels. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I've driven from, the, from Atlanta um, to Athens. That's what, 70, 90 miles? That's not a little ways to go. Um, but what I thought was fabulous is that she says, she closes her letter by saying, this I accomplish.
0: Yeah, no, that's really quite the way to sign off a letter. Yeah, no, it's true. Because the letter begins, I mean, I have it right here in front of me. The letter mm-hmm. begins, the life of Harriet Powers. And then she describes her life. And it has a, really some poignant uh, lines in it. You know, for example, I am the mother of nine children, six dead, three living. Yeah. And, th- and then she says, after leaving Atlanta, it was said I was dead. It yeah. was not so.
1: <laughs> See, we were gossiping way back when. <laughs> She's I'm like, let's make dead. that straight. Yeah. I was not dead. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's
0: exactly right. And then she said, she talks about the governor and the and the, and the gift of, of fruit. Actually, I was just talking to my wife. You know, people used to give fruit around Christmas. It was kind of a big deal. Yeah. Not anymore. Go ahead. You know,
1: um, and ahead. The, you know the, that was interesting. You talk about um, around Christmas. Mrs. Powers in her letter says that she was at the expo on December 26th what I think was significant, and I wondered, you know, who would go to a fair the day after Christmas, you know, so far away from home? And that, that sent me back to the Library of Congress, and it turns out December 26th was Negro Day mm-hmm. at the Atlantic Cotton Expo. So. Yeah,
0: uh-huh. Yeah, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely remarkable. Well, the letter is worth the price of your book, i got to say that. Oh. It, and you have a reproduction in there as well, which is very nice. Uh, it, it really is an, am- an amazing letter. Um, and, and you can see kind of that she's ha- happy. She's glad of the attention. She's, yeah. she's, she's happy that people are interested in her work. Um, and, the, and the work is really kind of front and center in the letter because she does mention the quilts and things like this. So it's a, yeah, it's a. Is this the only known writing by Harriet Powers? It is.
1: It is. And can you imagine? It's been sitting in a folder in Keokuk, Iowa for a couple decades. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, what I should say, there was also a, a photograph of a duplicate of the photograph that's at um, the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston of Harriet Powers. And that's why I strongly believe that this really is, you know, from Mrs. Powers. As a quilter, when somebody asks me about commissioning me to make a quilt, I would typically give them, send them a letter, send them an artist resume and some photographic or imagery so that they know what they're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that to me is, seems like what Mrs. Powers is doing mm-hmm. yeah. so I believe I have no proof of this, and again, I don't want to be like the other the other researchers who kind of say something and and kind of put it out there without sourcing it. So I will say I don't have any proof of this. I believe that there is a potential for Mrs. Divers to have actually commissioned a quilt from Harriet Powers, yeah and The funny thing, and the the reason why I happen to love Kikakaiawa now, (laughs) and I'm hoping that somebody actually will find another Powers quilt, is um, when Mrs. Divers passed away, um, her husband, there must have been a great love affair between the two of them. They lived in a house called Port Sunshine, and when her husband eventually passed away, in his will, and I've read his will, um, which is really kind of humorous to read, He loved his wife so much that he required the executor of the will not to sell or change the house in any way. Mm -hmm. In fact, he funded somebody, a caretaker, to live in the house Mm -hmm. with specific instructions like no children, no men can stay overnight kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But he said that they, over their lifetime, had purchased and and built a really wonderful home Mm -hmm. with lovely items from their trips. And they literally went around the world Mm -hmm. in travels. I believe that if Lorraine Diver commissioned a quilt from Harriet Powers, it it would have remained in that home. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until September of 1959 that the trustees, and the trustees were only to be women, that the trustees of the um, estate were able to petition, petition the court to sell. The home i mean they just couldn't sustain it It yeah. needed so many repairs and so forth and so there was an auction in september of 1959 i believe in keokuk iowa mm-hmm. and the contents of the home were sold mm-hmm. if there was a harriet powers quilt that mrs divers had i believe it would have been sold in that auction mm-hmm. um man wouldn't that be wonderful yeah, for the somebody auction,
0: the, the auction catalog doesn't survive
1: i have not been able to find it um I have checked the newspapers. Huh. I realize now that I'm not in Keokuk that I didn't check yeah. the phone book to yeah. see who would they have called in 1959 to huh. organize huh. such an auction. Huh. Um, I don't know if it was an auction like a Sotheby's auction, very huh. formal with the catalog, or if it were more of a, yeah. a state thing where uh-huh. you know they put everything on different tables and piles and mm-hmm. have at it mm-hmm. in terms of auctioning. Mm-hmm. Um, I have talked to the current, believe it or not, Whatever I don't know how much the man um, may have made over his lifetime, but there is still the Lorraine Diver Memorial Fund, and there is still a trustee of that yeah, fund right, today. Exactly, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I have since seen and met in person the current trustee, uh-huh. and she does not have any records, oh. you know, from the from the auction to know who bought what or what was in the estate. Right. I am open to, and I would love to work with whomever. Yeah. So if, if anybody, if
0: anybody out there knows is is, is an expert on uh, uh, Iowa Oxy. auctions in the 1950s, yeah. I don't know anything about them, but uh, give us a ring and we'll be that in touch. That would be a tremendous yeah. find. Yeah, that would be good. Also, I should say again, reading the letter, the letter is really very clever in a couple of ways, and I want to talk about it a little bit because, mm-hmm. um, partially because I was trained as a medievalist, and we don't have very much information, a little bit like <laughs> you, and and so we tend to wring every little bit of information out of everything we have. One is that, uh, it, and I think this speaks to your hypothesis about her um being commissioned to to make a quilt for divers is that she kind of sells herself in the letter mm-hmm. and she she does put this stuff in that sounds you know a little bit odd about these quilts that she makes, and so I, I think that you know there's yeah she 's definitely proud of what she does so I, I, yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't call it solicitous but she 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 makes sure that you know that she can do this thing, yeah, which is interesting uh, and then the other thing about the letter that really struck me was. And this is um, a comparison between the way she is reported to have spoken by uh, se- several of her uh, people that, that encountered her. I, I, think, um, I think Jenny Smith actually wrote something. Yes. Was it Jenny Smith? And there's a lot of dis and dat, if you know what I mean. There's a lot of this sort of black dialect. Or, or, but the letter is in absolutely perfect English without error. It's, it's, uh, I wish my students wrote that well. Um, so, so, and it has complicated lexicon too. She says she was, I can't remember. She says, I was, I was composed, I composed and completed, which, you know, yes. that's, uh, for my people in the 1890s, that would have been highfalutin. They wouldn't have spoken that way. They would have said, I did it.
1: <laughs> um, but I think it's almost like it, it and, and again, I will just use my own experience as a quilter if somebody's asking me to do a commission. You want to put on your Sunday best. Yeah. So you want to be a bit more formal. Yeah. Um, you you spoke about the language that other people have used, and there was a woman by the name of Lucine Lucine Finch who wrote about the Bible quilt, and she used dialect.
0: Yeah, exactly. It was it was Finch I'm thinking about, not yeah, um, not not uh, not Smith.
1: Yeah, it was uh, Miss Finch, and I have since um, located and and spoken to relatives of Miss Finch. Um, who I actually I do wish I could have met her because when I read her work at first, I thought, you know what, you, um," I was pretty angry with her. Um, And you'll see that if you read the book. Yeah, no, I. (laughs) But Miss Finch was an actress and she had a show and she actually had a radio program um, talking about tales from the old South. And so I think she wrote and, and tried to characterize Mrs. Powers in that way that she did for her, you know, acting career.
0: Yeah. I mean, this was kind of a minstrel show by a white woman in yeah. a weird sort of way. Uh, and I had no idea they lasted that long. But she made yeah. quite a career at it, didn't she? I mean, she was she a yeah, big audience um, doing these things.
1: She did. Um, and, but, but like I said, I am now more, I my, soften my opinion of Mrs. Finch now that I've met um, extended family members of her and I've read other items that she wrote. Yeah.
0: Well, it's nice that she showed any interest at all. I mean, that that much we can definitely say. Uh she it, there's a lot of little hamming up going on. That's that's true and a lot of stereotyping. But, but you
1: know the good thing is, or not the good thing. I think what that does it speaks to the power of Mrs. Power's creativity that she stitched together just simple cotton fabrics in such a way that people felt compelled to write about them and to photograph it.
0: Mhm. Mhm. So let's let's actually uh, move forward pretty quickly uh, because I wouldn't say we're about out of time, but we're mm-hmm. we're, we're coming up on it. And I want to I want to conclude three stories. The first is the story of uh, Harriet Powers herself. W- when did she die, or do we know? Sure, how? she
1: died um, January first, nineteen ten. Nineteen
0: ten. Okay. And then uh, let's uh, trace, as the art historians all say, the provenance of the quilts. Now the quilts are now one of them is in the uh, National History of American. National American wait, – wait, it's in some part of the Smithsonian. I can't remember the name. of The American History, National,
1: yeah, Museum, of American National History. Museum of American History. National Museum
0: mm-hmm. of American History. And then the other is in the MFA in Boston. So how'd they get there?
1: Sure. Let's do um, – the Smithsonian one, when Jenny Smith passed away, it wasn't in her will what to do with the quilt. Um, her executor, Harold Heckman, who was an accounting professor at the University of Georgia, kept the quilt and eventually um, – a couple decades later donated it to the Smithsonian mm-hmm. and who accepted it. And um, again, you've got to, as a historian, you've got to read and question what people say about the stories. Um, in this case, read um, Jenny Smith's actual will and decide for yourself if the quilt should have gone to the Smithsonian mm-hmm. for the other quilt. Um, the one that the women from Atlanta university had either purchased or commissioned uh, Mrs. Powers to make, Um, that quilt went to Dr. Charles Cuthbert Hall, who was um, a Presbyterian minister in New York, and he also went on to um, become the head of the Union Theological Seminary in New York, Mm -hmm. a very prominent man. And what I didn't know, and probably the reason why they commissioned the quilt, was that he was a strong advocate for African-Americans seeking education. Mm -hmm. Um, And eventually he was able to raise enough money to sustain Atlanta University for two operating years. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's part of the reason why they they gave him this wonderful quilt um, when he became the head of the Union Theological Seminary. Mm -hmm. When he died, when Dr. Hall died, the quilt went to his son, Basil Hall. And it was Basil Hall, who was also a Presbyterian minister, um, who eventually approached the museum in Boston to see if the museum would want to purchase the quilt. Um, the wonderful curator, um, Mr. Cavallo, who was the textile curator at the time in the 1960s at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, um, was able to see how gorgeous that second Bible theme quilt was, and it's called the Pictorial Quilt he thought he could purchase the quilt on behalf of the museum, but he thought it would do better to be in the collection of Maxim Karolik, who was, he and his wife had been um, very prominent benefactors of the museum in Boston. And it was Mr. Caballo who was able to put the Karolik's, Mr. Karolik in touch with um, Reverend Hall for that um, transaction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there's a doozy there. Um, I know we're running out of time. No, go ahead. No, but like, it's my contention that um, Mr. Carolick would not have been able to purchase the pictorial quilt or, or really any of the art that they eventually did um, donate. And they, the Karolicks donated over 3,000 pieces of artwork to the museum in Boston had it not been for the outcome um, of a lawsuit where um, Mr. Carolick's wife, her name was um, Martha, Cod- Martha um, Codman, And Martha's father passed away, and they were millionaires. Mm -hmm. Her father passed away. And when the will was read a couple of days after he passed away, and he passed away in the um, 1886 or early, kind of mid-1880s, 1886 I think it was. Anyway, when he passed away, the will was read, and he gave the bulk of his estate. And again, they were very, very wealthy Boston family. He gave the bulk of of his estate to his mistress. (laughs) Yeah. And not his wife <laughs> yeah. and surviving daughter, yeah. and so they they took the case to court. And it's it, the case was so scandalous at the time, it actually made headlines not only in Boston, but in the New York Times. And at one point, it was on the front page of the Washington Post. Wow. Yeah. that's how scandalous the, the affair yeah. was, and the subsequent law um, lawsuit to to really get the money back to the family and, right. and get it, you know, so that it doesn't go to the mistress. Mm-hmm. It's my thought that if the Massachusetts Supreme Court and then the subsequent settlement of the case didn't go the way that it did, we might not have known about the second Harriet Powers huh. quilt. Yeah, it's just that phenomenal. Yeah, no,
0: that's interesting. So, say, for instance, you wanted to see these quilts today, how could you do it?
1: Certainly, if you were in the Washington D.C. area, um, the Harriet Powers Bible quilt is not on display right now, but you can contact the textile department. And arrange for a private viewing, and so you can go on the website, and of the American History Museum, and send an email and arrange for that. Um, I am totally excited that the Victorian quilt at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston is coming out um, for display after almost ten years of being in storage. It's coming out for display on um, with the opening of the new Art of the Art of the America's Wing mm-hmm. at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. Mm-hmm. So it'll be on display starting November 20th. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I have a link to both of those actually on um, the write-up for this interview. So if people want to go see those things. And I will be in the Boston area uh, over the holidays, and maybe I'll go by the MFA. I haven't been there in a long time. I'd love to look at them. I have one technical question. You may not be able to answer it, but it strikes me I'm, I'm interested in these things. Now, these, uh, um, these are largely made out of cotton. Is that correct?
1: Yes. How,
0: how the That's an organic material. It's pretty fragile. How do you preserve something for a long time that's made out of cotton?
1: Um, it is a technical question. I do know that for both of these two quilts, particularly the quilt in Boston, um, they are very aware of how much light hits the quilt. Yeah. So the quilt in Boston rarely, um, it, it hasn't had even more than three, three years total of light uh-huh. being shown to it. Yeah in the 40 plus almost 40 years that they've had the quilt. Mm-hmm. Um and so the colors are still vibrant mm-hmm. and of course they keep it in, you know, acid-free conditions and so forth. Yeah. The quilt at the Smithsonian has been up until a few years ago had been almost on continuous exhibit since the Smithsonian acquired the quilt. Um so it was exposed for almost 30 years to light and so it's it's a, a bit more faded. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well anybody who has a you know an old jacket or an old shirt knows that if you wear it outside a lot it gets faded pretty darn quickly and I was right. wondering about that. I mean it's one thing to restore a painting it's I don't know how you would go about restoring a quilt. That that is far beyond me to even imagine.
1: I, that'll have to be my next book. No. Yeah,
0: that's right. yeah, how to rest- I have no idea how you preserve these things. I'm sure there are people working on it now. Like, I, I hope that there are people working on it right now. So, anyway, I want to say, uh, Kyra, thanks very much for being on the show. It's really been a delight talking to you. I've learned a ton of new things about quilting, and I'm glad to have been introduced to Mrs. Powers, as I will now refer to her in 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 great respect. Uh, why don't you conclude the interview by telling us a little about about what you're doing now, what you're working on, what your plans are for further writing and that kind of thing.
1: Sure. Um, And thank you so much. I am not decided what my next project is going to be. So, of course, I'm doing two things at once. Um, I am trying to find more information about black British quilters. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to meet and talk to black British quilters. To the best of my knowledge, no one has really ever written or documented the work of black british quilters uh-huh. so that's one thing i'm looking at and the other is given the tremendous outpouring of quilts made um during the election process the, the presidential election of of 2008 i'm now curious what quilts are in presidential museums yeah yeah and kind of how because you got it if you're going to stitch something that long you gotta have been really enthusiastic about the person uh-huh. so what kind of quilts are in presidential museums? Yeah, yeah. So those are the two questions I'm looking at right now.
0: Well, that is it. Those are both really great questions. And I, you know, I, I sometimes tell my um, students they come in and they say I want to be X, Y, or Z, and usually because they're Midwestern and it's all very practical. And then I say, What do you really want to do? And then they'll tell me about their hobby. I'll say, Well, why don't you make that your career? And they look at me yeah. like I'm an idiot. Um, but you know, I, I really admire you in a way because you have kind of made, you know, you've really made something out of your love of quilting, and that is a. You know, America is one of the few places I think you can do that. And uh, and I just really, uh, I'm, I'm smiling here in admiration for you for, for having done this. So let me tell our listeners that we've been talking to Kyra Hicks about um, her new book, This I Accomplished, Harriet Powers' Bible Quilt and Other Pieces. Kyra, thanks very much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Marshall. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to an interview with Kyra Hicks about her new book, This I Accomplish, Harriet Powers, Bible Quilt, and Other Pieces. I'm Marshall Poe, the host of New Books in History. I hope you have a great week.